Yo, yo, yo. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the LTK show. On today's show, we got an awesome guest, man. We got uh, former World Series champion and, and former Minnesota twin Al Newman joins us today. He goes over, uh, you know, we talk about his career, talk about the World Series um, title runs and some stories behind the scenes and really just delve into his baseball career and some of the things that he's been through um, on and off the field. And tell you what, man, a lot of fun. I got to know him, uh, coaching baseball with him with the Minnesota Blizzard and, you know, one of the smartest baseball guys I've ever been around. And he's also a, a really good speaker. You know, he, he spoke one time at the end of a Minnesota Blizzard season, kind of the postseason banquet. And I tell you what, he gets you going a little bit, all right? He's, uh, this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. And appreciate the time, Numi, for, for taking some, some carving some time out of your day and, and joining us. And, uh, yeah, enjoy this one, guys. A lot of fun. Thanks for joining. Here it is, LTK Show with Al Newman. Yep. What are you guys up to? What are you doing? Angus, you still with the Blizzards? Or you started your own, or what are you doing? Well, I was with the Blizzard. I was doing lessons. I was uh, coaching the 14U team this, this past winter, and I was going to do some spring and summer stuff for them, but then obviously this whole thing hit. So I've been unemployed for the past, what, geez, almost two m month and change now. Uh -huh, so right. Getting some good Minnesota State money and sure. kind of <laughs> doing some podcasts and <laughs> – Who's the Poker. third member here? Who's our third member? This is my buddy Eric. I went to high school with him. He played. We played ball together in okay. high school. Okay. Hi, Eric. How you doing, man? Big fan. Pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Loved watching the '87 and the '91 series. I'm sure we'll touch on that. But uh, sure. Fun to watch, man. Good memories. They're replaying it on. Um, you bet they are. WCCO tomorrow, I guess, because I'm going on with Eric Nelson at 3:15. Oh, are you? Awesome. Yeah. I'll be sure so. to tune in. Yeah, I hope. I'm, I'm just trying to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting to that age now. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Yep. I tell you what, you guys won championships so often when we yeah. were – and we were young. I mean, we were 12, 13, whatever. No, it was. we were like 10, yeah. Or 10 years 10. old. But I, I felt like, well, hell, this is what you do. We're just yeah. – we're going to bring – the Twins are going to be bringing home championships, so you guys <laughs> got us spoiled. <laughs> right. And now reality setting in. <laughs> yes, yes, you are correct. Those, those were five really good years. Um, you know, even even going into '91 when we finished in last place, we were only four games under 500. Uh, I think Oakland won 100, and I don't know how many games they won, but they won over 100 games. So I mean, it looked worse than it was, but we were in last place. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, worst to first, man. Um, so what I was thinking of doing, Numi, since we're both ball players, ball coaches, whatever, I usually sure. start out with the with a little warm up when we get going here, just to kind of ease into it, and then we could talk a little more about your career. Sure, you guys run it how you want to. I'm just a participant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, let's start it out righty or lefty. You being a switch hitter, what's your preference? Um, well, you know, when I, when I played, uh, I'd have to say I thought I was a better hitter left-handed. I definitely spent more time with my left-handed stroke, but I was a natural right-hander. So right-handed, I felt like I could hit anybody. Left-handed, I thought I was more of a, a I guess you say a craftsman. 
Uh, you know, more technical, but in right-handed, I was a free swinger. Okay. Um, Ripken or Jeter? Well, you know, that's a tough question, and um, I, I was against Jeter for a lot, a lot of years, and uh, but I was not a real big fan of Cal either. Um, I think Greg Gagne is one of the more underrated. You know, those guys obviously were in bigger markets, but if I had to choose between the two, um, I'm going to go with uh, Derek Jeter. Okay. Yeah, tough to go against him. A lot of championships, too. Um, I think, and we'll get into this a little bit about your about you growing up, but um, I'm curious, are you a more beach guy or mountains guy? Uh, well, I would have to say I'm afraid of heights, and I like looking at pretty women. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with the beaches. <laughs> uh, good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about this. This one kind of hits home with me as well, but more enjoyable for you, playing or coaching? Wow. Um, I'm going to say being a coach uh, because when I was a player, I was just reacting and, and performing uh, to the best of my ability. Um, yes, mentally into the game, but not like being a manager of young men, uh, preparing them to uh, be ready for the game and know the, the fundamentals of the game and watching them grow. Um, I took a lot of pleasure uh, when being a minor league manager and watching um, Justin Morneau and, and Tory Hunter and uh, David Ortiz and, and Corey Kosky, Doug Minkavich, having those guys and coaching them and watching their careers blossom uh, was greatly gratifying for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It's definitely fulfilling. It's the same deal with me, man. And I didn't mean to name drop, but no, that's, I, you know, no, I was just going awesome. through. You know, you get those guys when they're 17, 18 years old, and uh, you're you're their first manager, and you're welcoming them to the to the minor leagues, trying to talk about the major leagues and what's necessary. So uh, it's a proud moment uh, when you see those players get up there as, as major leaguers, and then there are guys who become coaches. And you think back of when you had them as players and they had potential as a student of the game, but not maybe quite the athletic ability. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Do you uh, stay in touch with any of those guys? Oh, most definitely. Uh, they're like my sons. Yeah. Um, they seem to call me uh, when I need it. And, and sometimes I'll be thinking about one of them and I'll give them a phone call. But it's, it's always a, a good call. Uh, you know, one of the young men that uh, I really stay in touch with is a scout with uh, the New York Mets. Uh, I was the first one he told that he was going to be a father. So those are moments really? that you just cherish as a coach when your players trust you enough, uh, not only in, in the athletic world, but in their in their life. Yeah, that's special, man. That's what it's all about. That's awesome. Um, got a fun one here for you. What was a bigger thrill for you? Turning two triple plays in one game, which that's the only team ever in Major League history to do that, or hitting your one and only homer? Wow. Well, when I hit my one and only homer that day, uh, the third baseman for the Atlanta Braves hit four home runs. And oh, we, really? We beat them 13-4. to four, So uh, it wasn't quite that memorable because I didn't think it would be my only home run uh, in the Major <laughs> Leagues. Uh, but turning those two triple plays in one game, um, you know, that was totally awesome. Um, I was probably more nervous with the second opportunity uh, than the first one. 
Uh, the first one, Tom Bernanski hit into, so I knew I had more time. And then the second one was a second baseman, Jody Reed, who at that time you figured would be sacrifice bunting, but uh, Boston didn't believe in that, and so he hit into a triple play. <laughs> but, uh, you know, earlier in that series, uh, we had a game where the two teams combined, uh, I believe we turned nine or ten double plays uh, between the two teams. Wow. Uh, so that, that was a heck of a series. A lot of quick games were played against Boston that weekend. Do you think Boston learned to enjoy the sacrifice bunt after that triple play you put on them? <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought they would have after the first one. Right, yeah, um, right. You know, I, I believe their manager was Joe Madden at the time, not the one that's managing now uh, for the Angels, but uh, uh, I believe he didn't last too long after that season. I think they <laughs> they probably got rid of him. Sure. <laughs> Uh, last one on the warm-up here. Uh, can you name the eight – there were eight players on both the 87 and the 91 World Series teams. You yeah, I'm gonna, seven I'm going to li eliminate one guy that people always say eight. There were only seven. Is that right? Uh, that played on the, the – Okay, so my facts are wrong. On both teams. No, you're not the first one. Matter of fact, I've seen it uh, on Google. Uh, but anyway, there. I think Alan Anderson. Do you have him down? I do. Yes, that's the guy that they seem to always add. Uh, Al, he won the, the ERA title, I believe, in 1989 over a Milwaukee Brewer uh, left-handed pitcher. I can't think of his name right now. But they always include him. But yes, I can definitely name. A uh, matter of fact, when I do my benefits and functions, uh, this is the grand prize if people can name the seven <laughs> players. And believe it or not, none of them were pitchers. They were all position players. So I'll name myself Kirby Puckett, Dan Gladden, Ken Herbeck. And then these are the three that most people have a hard time getting. Not that I'm some big shot, but <laughs> since I'm asking the question, most people assume I must be part of the answer. Uh, they forget Greg Gagne, Gene Larkin, and Randy Bush. And those two... Counting me, three bench players were on both teams. And uh, so Tom Kelly had a lot of confidence in our bench. Uh, you had two switch hitters and a left-handed stick. You had me that could play all positions. Randy mm -hmm. Randy played first in, in the outfield, and Gene could play first in the outfield. So uh, his options were there at the end of the game, and, and I'm sure that was part of our success. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that really – came to fruition especially in the world series and you know watching him back it's fun to fun to look at all the moves that he made tk you know just the the chess game and i think you came in and what was it game seven of the 91 which we can get to later but might as well get there now you uh i think you pinch ran right yeah i pinch ran I actually thought i was going to score the winning run to be honest with you yeah um uh, in the i believe it was the ninth inning because uh we did play 10 innings that night uh I was on third base. Runners at uh, bases were loaded. Ken Herbeck was up. There was one out, and you're thinking at that point in time, I'm going to be the winning run of the World Series. <laughs> and Kent uh, proceeds. He's facing a tough left-handed pincher, uh, Mike Stanton, and he hits a line drive to short, and Chuck Knobloch gets doubled off at second. Oh, really? And so, therefore, we continue to play and eventually win uh, in the 11th inning. Okay. Nice. Excuse yeah, me, we'll, the tenth inning. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll delve into that later. Um, I kind of want to just 
go through your your career um as long as time allows here but um and then we'll kind of get into the pros and stuff but i'm curious it says you were born in kansas city is that is that right did you grow up yeah. there Sure, I grew up a Chiefs fan in Kansas yeah. City, Missouri, home of the best barbecue, yeah, barbecue uh, in the world. Uh, I, I grew up there, lived there for my first, uh, what, uh, 10, 11 years of my life. Uh, I went to Blessed Sacrament, um, played baseball in the summer. It was just a great place to grow up. And then my parents got jobs out in California where my grandmother was, and that's how I got out west. Okay. Speaking of KC, Al, can you tell us a barbecue spot that maybe is off the beaten path that we should all hit up? Well, the first one you should hit up, uh, because it's a staple uh, of Kansas City, is Gates Barbecue. I've been to Gates. Gates is and awesome. You, reason why I tell people to go there, because when you walk in the door, they want to take your order. As soon as you walk in, they holler at you, hi, man, take your order, please. <laughs> and you haven't had a chance to even look at the menu, so uh, that's one of their staples uh, of that place. And and, and I guess uh, the other one that I, I'm kind of growing fond of, but will never replace uh, Gates, would be B52s, and that's uh, down towards uh, Crown Crown Plaza, Westport area. Awesome. Okay, we'll hit those up. Um, how old were you when you moved to Cali? Um, I was going into my uh, freshman year. Okay. Um, freshman year, which, you know, at, at the time uh, you had been with your, your classmates and, and teammates your entire life that you thought, you know, as a young man. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to um, California and where you all, all you hear, that's where the great athletes, great baseball players and football and basketball players all were coming from there in Florida. So it was a bit of a mind stretch for me athletically, uh, but academically, uh, no problem. Yeah. So how was the baseball out in Cali comparative to Kansas City? Was it a pretty big adjustment? Well, let's just start with they had grass on the infield, and we had okay. dirt uh, in Kansas <laughs> <Yeah>. City. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so a little different in climate. Um um, I remember taking my first round balls on the grass, and I just kept saying, man, the balls are so slow. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was missing them because they were so slow. But uh, uh, that, that's how that, that, that was cool. I started out my teams. Everybody always put me at third base uh, when I was a little ligger. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was a longer throw or my reactions and angles to the ball. I have no idea at that time. Uh, but I had played short in Kansas City, but you know, you go to California, uh, again, you have to rise to the level of the competition. And so I was a starter, but I was a third baseman. Okay. And then talk about like, I guess your improvement throughout high school. Were you, did it take a little while for you to adjust? I mean, to Cali and then when did you kind of start to figure it out? Well, in all honesty, I've been living here in Minnesota for about uh, 35 years now, so I never got comfortable in California. Really? Um, you know, I got there in my formative years, high school, books, and played three sports, so I really didn't have much of a, a social life to that degree. But athletically, uh, you start playing against some of the best players in the country, obviously. Uh, you're being seen by college coaches. Um, I really enjoyed playing football and uh, went to college on a, a partial uh, scholarship, football and baseball at San Diego State. 
and uh, you know you just start seeing athletes and you just want to compete um, if I could say anything to any young man uh, or young lady uh, I think within yourself you have to establish the ability to compete and challenge yourself it's not so much uh, always against somebody else it's you challenging yourself to get better and to put the time in and that's most important you have to put the time in you can't hope for success you have to build towards it yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I interviewed a, a friend of mine and a hot wall a hockey player that made it to the NHL just yesterday and he I mean that's the thing I drew from that interview yesterday was he was just very competitive from a young age and he kept right. that throughout and sure enough he made it you know to the highest level and you know that's just obviously not coincidental that that you mentioned that you know uh, Eric uh, the thing for me it's not that you're a bad guy because you're competitive uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, man, you're always going after it. No, you can be competitive and still have fun. Uh, you can still enjoy your teammates and mm -hmm. be competitive. I mean, right now, you're, this Jordan uh, uh, autobiography is out. And How good is that, too, yeah. by the way? Yeah, it's excellent. I can't wait to watch it every week. I, I mm -hmm, get goosebumps, right. and I was a Magic Johnson fan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, I'm starting to like Michael more and more, but to be a good athlete, at any level, to have success, you must be competitive. It doesn't mean that you're not having success. And when you have the disappointments, it doesn't mean you're not good. It's just you have to figure it out. And, and I know in baseball, which uh, is a grind, it's an everyday, uh, it's not physical, it's just a mental grind. You've got to believe that when you walk up there and it's one-on-one -on -one with you and that pitcher, that you've got a chance to succeed. If you don't, you have no shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I want to talk about San Diego State. Like, I'm pretty sure, did you overlap with Tony Gwynn there? Yes, I did. Yeah, um, so how good was that Probably squad, that one of the, squad? probably the smartest guy I ever met pertaining to hitting besides Ted Williams. Wow. And I'll, I'll tell you about that. When I was at San Diego State, Tony played basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in our day, um, again, many generations, many decades ago, uh, you were multi-sport athletes. And so guys played football, basketball, baseball, and they went to college and sometimes played a couple of sports um, and, and had success. Tony was a great point guard at San Diego State. Yeah, he was like all-conference, right? Yeah, Something. but after we played football my first year there and we were doing fall baseball practice, which was basketball season, Everybody kept saying, wait till this kid Tony Gwynn gets out here. And I had to ask him, you mean the guy that's the point guard? And they go, yeah. <laughs> he never practiced all fall. He showed up to our last practice. I mean, he showed, didn't play any fall ball games or practices. He shows up at our last practice before our first game. First game, he goes six for six, two homers, two doubles, a triple, and nine RBIs. Come on. I'm, Come I'm not on. kidding you. I'm not kidding you. And I looked at him and I said, that's simply amazing. Well, I didn't know that he had batting cages at home. Uh, and his girlfriend filmed his batting cage sessions. Oh, wow. And he was critiquing. He's the guy that's responsible for guys studying video. It really? started. It started way back in the 80s because Tony was in the big leagues at 84 after two years of San Diego, you know, after graduating in 82. So, yes, I was there with Tony Gwynn. We also had Bud Black. Uh, was a pitcher on our team. 
Mark mm-hmm. Langston was there. I don't know if you know these Jeez. names. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah. And then there was a number one pick named Bobby Meacham, uh, who was a first-round pick uh, by the by the St. Louis Cardinals and was traded to the Yankees. Um, you might remember him for not so good of a play. You ever seen that play with the Yankees in Boston when uh, Carlton Fisk tags out two guys at home plate? Absolutely. Yep. Well, my teammate, Bobby Meacham, was responsible for that play. He made a base-running blunder between second and third. So he's the first guy getting tagged out, and Dale Barra, Yogi's son, is the second guy. The manager, Billy Martin, <laughs> the Billy Martin sends Bobby to A-ball after the game. Really? Yes, wow. to never get back to the big leagues. Wow. Jeez. It was tough days back then. Yeah, but, was, uh, it, was it the second runner right on the first guy's heels, too, if I remember? Yes, right? and yes. And this was literally, like, waiting for him, like, all right, well, I got you <laughs> And you then you get, yeah. yeah, as a third base coach, and I've been there, you just say, oh, well, I guess you got to go, too. Right, yeah, you, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't put up a stop sign that quick. Yeah, yeah no, that was uh, that was my buddy Bobby Meacham. Um, but uh, he's still in the big leagues as a coach. He's in the coaching with uh, the Marlins, I believe, now, um, down there with Don Mattingly. Wow, nice. how how far did you guys make it? Like, did you guys go to College World Series? Yes, we well, we got knocked off in the regional. Um we lost our first game. We went to the Southwest Regional, so we were down there with Texas, Oral Roberts, and I believe um, so I'll, I remember the school. I'll never forget it to this day. Southern Illinois and San Diego State, and then I believe there was another school there. But we got knocked off by two major league pitchers. Okay. Uh, one, uh, Mike Moore, uh, who had a long career, number one pick with Seattle, pitched in Oakland. Uh, and then we got beat by uh, Jeff Heathcock, who pitched for the Houston Astros. So we lost one nothing and two one on a squeeze play. And the head coach's name was Itchy Jones. I've never, <laughs> yes, I've I've hated that name, and, and I've hated that guy ever since. <laughs> Southern uh, Illinois, they squeezed on us and they beat us two to oh one. Oh my so gosh, he's getting. We were loaded. We had a great team, but uh, we did not win the championship. Shoot, man. Hey, you got you got one a couple years later that probably counts a little more, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh huh. Speaking of that, what's uh? So, how did you end up like turning pro? Actually, you know what? I was doing a little research on you. Were you drafted three times or four? T- like I was drafted four times. Four times. Yes. How, how's that work? That's just crazy. Well, there used to be two drafts a year. There used to be one in January, and there used to be one in June. Okay. And so that's, you know, that's just every six months you can be drafted and given an opportunity. If, you know, if you don't sign, you, you go to a four-year school, um, you cannot sign until June. So there was some limitations in there. Uh, but, yes, I was drafted uh, four times. And finally, uh, I decided to sign when uh, after my junior year. Um, I was close enough to getting my degree. Okay. Uh, I believe I was like eight units away at the time, and mm-hmm. um, I thought, okay, well, if I sign, they give me the money. You know, it's a number one pick. They pay me what I think I I need it, plus pay for my school. Um, I would sign with the Montreal Expos, and that's what I did in August. Okay, and that was in the first round, right? So you, yes, sir. Okay, and then did you end up finishing school? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, you know, eight units wasn't much to get done. Um, I did not finish up at San Diego State. I, I got the degree out of uh, Cal Poly Pomona. 
Okay. Uh, which is was near where I lived, and uh, you know I could still work out and and go do my schooling. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So heading into pro ball, what was that like? Do you remember like your first? I guess your first camp or. Well, I do because there used to be instructional league, and uh, instructional league started in September. Uh, after the minors league season in September one, then the instructional league started, and that was a season of about forty games. So it lasted uh, to right before Thanksgiving, and so that was my first introduction to instructional league, where generally you take your top uh, forty prospects in the minor leagues and you bring them down and you compete against the other eight teams that are in the league. It's like playing another league, uh-huh. uh, very competitive, and they brought me in and. I got my first nickname. Yeah. Holdout. <laughs> Holdout. Yeah, yeah, because the draft was in June and I didn't sign until August. Um, <laughs> so they were, they started out calling me Holdout, and then you know I was just a target, uh, uh, Kangas. Uh, you know, they you come in and get your uniform. You know, you got the new shoes because you're number one pick, and you got all this stuff in your locker. Everybody stared at you. And then they tell me to go get some lumber. They said, hey, the bats are in, you know, go to the bat room and, you know, pull out, you know, four to six bats that you like and uh, put your name on them. So I go into the bat rack. I have no idea. I, you know, uh, in college we had six bats. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they weren't on aluminum, but we had six bats. And I never paid the models any attention. I just knew the one that felt good in my hand. Yeah. So I go into this room, and, and I'm picking up these bats, and I'm going, man, these things are heavy. <laughs> They're picking up these bats, and I'm looking at the boxes, and it says R-161 and P-72 and R-43. And, you know, these are all big-time guys. Jack, you know, JR, you know, was uh, Jackie Robinson. So I pick up this bat, and it said K-100. And so I put my name on it. And I'm going, yeah, these are nice and, you know. <laughs> nice and light. Yeah, nice and light. <laughs> and so they, they started coming. Come on, dummy. That's a coach's bat. That's a fungo. <laughs> so, so I had put my name on six fungo bats. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't realize. They didn't, let, they didn't tell me until we got into the batting cages. And I'm, I'm hitting balls, and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the hitting coach said, let me see your bat. And I showed it to him. What's this? What are you doing with a K-100? So, you know, there's some lessons to be learned. Kudos for oh, not man. getting sawed off with those. Oh, I know, up. right? <laughs> uh, that's yes, great. life's lessons, man. That's friggin' great. Um, so what was, what was the minors like? What kind of stands out as far as playing down there and traveling and, like, any stories? Well, um, for, you know, for me, you know, the bus trips, they were all bus trips. There were no flights. I, Fortunately enough, I was I started in double A. Oh, you did? Um, and I was based in Memphis, Tennessee, which was a, a big city. You know, it was, it was called the Southern League. So there was Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Jacksonville, Florida. Bigger Colum- towns, yeah. You know, Columbus, Savannah, Georgia, a lot of big cities, but a lot of distance between those cities. And uh, so our longest ride was like 14 hours uh, to get to Jacksonville in Orlando. Uh, you played every night. It was hot. And, yeah. and I will say this. It was very, very competitive. That's what I recall. It was just every night you're seeing an ace. 
you know, in your eyes, because in college you get fat on some of the, you know, other pitchers. Yeah, that's and, true. And, you know, yep. your age, you, know, you might face one quality pitcher uh, a week, where now you're facing a quality pitcher every night. And, and now you're in the prospect league, which is double right. A, which are guys that are anywhere from the ages of 21 to 24 uh, in double A. So it was tough. It was tough. But, you know, I was able to compete. Um, speaking of hitting home runs, I hit a home run my first minor league at bat. Did you really? Wow. Yeah, and I think I hit one more after that. So <laughs> um, I was just not a power hitter. I stole, uh, you know, 63 bases my first year in pro ball. And, uh, you know, so I, the speed was my game. So I bunted and, and hit singles and, you know, went first to third and scored from first on a double. So that was that was my game. Hey, so, Numi, you said uh, you did a 14-hour bus ride. What yes, is a sir. guy? What is a guy doing on a fourteen-hour bus ride? If aside from sleep, and if Wade Boggs isn't there smashing thirty beers, well, <laughs> I, what we learned to do at that time, uh, there were three bunk beds on the bus. They were for the next day's pitcher, the starting catcher, and the best hitter. So you were probably on the so, on the bed, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, to be honest with you, I, I was able to sleep on the floor. Or at that time, I was a hell of a lot smaller. I could sleep over the overhead rack. So I gave it to my roommate most of the time. Uh, you know, he was a, a catcher. Sure. And if he wasn't going to be the starting catcher, then he didn't get the cot. So, or he didn't get the bed. So I worked it out. Here's my gig, though. Back then, there was no bottled water. You only had to buy those gallon jugs that you see the kids uh, carrying around in the training facilities. So when you say 14 hours on a bus... Guys wake up and they got the sticky mouth, you know. Um, yeah. You know they want to brush their teeth, so I sold cups of water for fifty cents so they could brush their teeth. <laughs> if they weren't smart enough to bring a water, <laughs> they weren't thinking about brushing their teeth after fourteen hours. That's good stuff. A little side cash. Yes. Uh, yes. Love it. Um, I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, you're progressing through the minors. When did you start to realize, like, hey, you know, I might have a shot here? And then subsequently, what do you remember about getting the call? Well, um, first off, you know, you're playing in double A. You're being challenged right off the get. Um, I, it wasn't easy. Um, I think I started off, well, no, I know I started off the first game. I was two for four. And then the next 42 at-bats, I did not sniff a hit. Is that right? So I started off two for 46 or something like that. Wow. And I couldn't bunt for a hit. Everything was right at somebody. Um, I just, I'm just grateful that my manager at the time, uh, who also managed here in Minnesota, Rick Rennick, um, oh, yeah. was my manager there. And he says, Bubba, you, you don't, don't uh, you know, stress out. He says, I picked you for this team. You're not going anywhere. And uh, from that point on, um, you know, I took off. Uh, it was a very challenging league. A lot of, you know, guys go from double-A to the major leagues. Uh, that's the prospect level. So uh, it was very, very competitive. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, no, it's, it's just to me, it, it's awesome to me, like the impact that a coach can have. You know what I mean? Like sure. Just pulling you aside like that and giving you just that little nudge or that little, you know, tap on the butt like, hey, I got your back, and then boom, you go. You know, you know, you know King, that's one thing that I, as a manager, and that's why when you asked me the previous question, what gave me more gratification, uh, that does, the coaches. Being a coach who 
can get through to a kid and get him over the hump. Uh, because, you know, you're in a competitive business. I'm not saying there's no stress or there's no emotion involved. Yes, there is. But those kids that can bottle that up and still perform without every at-bat being monumental, uh, they're the ones that their natural abilities tend to come out more frequently. Uh, when you talk about great athletes, and I'm sorry for going off the cuff here. No, you're good. But when you, when you, you see great athletes, um, as I have, throughout minor leagues all the way to the big leagues and the major leagues, you find out, you hear coaches say all the time, slow the game down. Let, that's the only way your natural abilities and your reaction time, your speed, your awareness of situations, that's the only way panic doesn't set in. Mm -hmm. I say to kids all the time, you know, most errors are made. Yes, it's okay to bobble a ball. The error comes from when panic sets in and you, you just try to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Instead of picking it up under control and making a good throw, you just want to get the hot potato away from you. So a lot of things are self-induced. Uh, a lot of kids, if they strike out the first time, the next at-bat, they're going to give it away because they're swinging at the first pitch because they don't want to strike out a second time. Mm -hmm. So you, you're constantly playing these mind games, and, and you cannot let it get the best of you. And if you can talk to players enough and then get them to trust their abilities, it's not easy. That's why that funnel gets smaller and smaller. Um, it's not easy, but those who do can and will, and they make the next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. When you ask me about the call, yeah, my AAA manager uh, was Felipe Alou. Oh, really? Um, he was my AAA manager my first year in AAA. I played two years in AAA. Um, my next manager, well, the manager was Buck Rogers, uh, who was a catcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, the California Angels, big league manager. Uh, I played for him the first year. We won a championship. And then he got the major league job in Montreal, and then Felipe Alou replaced him. And I was the youngest guy on the AAA team at 22 years old. Uh, you know, veteran ball players were older when they got to the big leagues uh, because teams didn't turn over like they do now. Uh, there used to be quite a few 28, 29, 30-year-olds in AAA. Very rarely are they there now mm -hmm. uh, because guys are getting to the big leagues. Uh, at 21, 22 now. But getting back to my story, I get, we're in Louisville, Kentucky. And the night before, we're playing a four-game series. And after the first night, uh, Vince Coleman uh, was with the Cardinals. He got called up to the big leagues. And he was hitting a buck 90, I think. Really? And uh, we played him the next day, you know, and we beat him again. Uh, they had a pretty good team, but Coleman was gone. And so we're sitting around in the hotel, you know, as players do, you play cards or now they probably play video games. So we're just sitting around wondering uh, when and if we're ever going to get called up to the major leagues. And I believe it was, I think I got called up either May, I don't want to say May 13th or, yeah, I think it was May 13th or June 13th. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but every player can mimic his manager. Some player on your team can can make the voice or sound like the head coach. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so just coincidentally, we were all talking about, before we went to our, our separate rooms, when or if we'd ever get to the big leagues, you know. And the, the Montreal was loaded at the time, and, um, you know, you're just waiting, waiting. I'm, I think I was hitting 280, 290 at the time. And so we go back to my room, my phone rings. 
and I answer it. And this is before cell phones, so it's the hotel phone. I answer it. I go, hello. And he goes, Newman, you know, with a Spanish accent. <laughs> and he goes, this is Felipe. <laughs> and I hang up the phone. No. Come on. Oh, I hung <laughs> it up because I thought it was my double play partner, Rene Gonzalez, playing a joke. <laughs> oh, wow. Because he was in the room when we were talking about going to the big leagues. <laughs> so the phone rings back again. He goes, Newman, this is Felipe, Felipe Alou. I go, Gonzo, stop screwing around. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> again. I hung up again. About five <laughs> minutes later, oh, geez. Um, there's a knock on my door, and it's Felipe Alou, and I about passed out. <laughs> <laughs> I just about fell on the floor. <laughs> um, he goes, what, you don't want to go to the big leagues? And I'm like, well, I, I didn't want to sell out my teammate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But I gave him up. I said, I thought it was Renee pretending that he was you. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I, I pitted out the whole flight to Montreal. and uh, Pitted out. Yeah, man. I, I didn't take my sport coat off. And, man, my pits were thick going through customs. And, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I knew I was in the big legs because there was a guy standing there with my name. And, you know, holding up a sign for uh -huh. my name and... Got into the car and got to the stadium, looked in there, and I was in the lineup. Oh, my really? goodness. Wow. Yeah. It's scary, <laughs> you know. Never never not wanted to play a game of baseball in my life. You know, you think about getting to the big leagues, and now you're there, and you don't want to play. <laughs> I was scared to death. We were playing uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, I believe, and, uh, you know, you look in that dugout, and there's, there's Mike Smith and Carlton Fisk and – Pete Rose and Joe Morgan, and you're going, what the heck wow. is Al Newman doing <laughs> on the field with these guys, let alone in front of all these people? Man, yeah, that's, that's how, awesome. Did you, how how did you, you get, do that? Dan? Yeah, how'd you do? I went 0 for 4 with their ground ball to second base for an RBI. Actually got the game-winning RBI when really? they used to keep that stat. I got my hit the next day against Kevin Gross. Uh, who it turns out when I went home that summer back to California, uh, he lived around the corner from me. I did not know that. Oh, wow. Wow. So he was a little bit older than me, so we didn't go to the second. We, he might have been at the high school before me, but I did not know him. That's good you didn't wait too long. I know some of these guys get it, bust in and they, they go 40, 50 at-bats without a hit. That's got to be agonizing. Oh, yes, yes. You don't generally last that long. Right. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, 18. <laughs> are you helping me or are you hurting me, son? <laughs> you know, that, that's the thing about the minor leagues. I, I always preached, I can help you get to the corner. I cannot help you cross the street. And that is the biggest step, the minor leagues to the big leagues, because you know you have the athletic ability, but mentally... The grind of now you're accountable every time you're on the field. Where in the minor leagues, you, you know, you're about loving them and patting them on the backside and, and trying to mentor them. In the big leagues, it's about winning and mm -hmm. the ability to execute and be consistent. It's not as easy as people think it is because everybody played baseball and everybody was better than some kid that made it to the big leagues and they can't figure out why they didn't make it. It's sure. tough. It's really tough. Yeah. Did you stay up or did you ever get sent back down? I never got sent back down. Is that right? Um, wow. 
Yeah, no, fortunate uh, and very blessed. Yeah, that's... Um, I never got sent back down. I, I've got to tell you this story, though, Kangas, since you brought that up. <laughs> um, I'm in Minnesota. Uh, we won the World Series in 87. Um, but during that summer, that was my third year. That would have been my second, third year in the big leagues and uh, first year in Minnesota. Yeah. So somehow, you know, I had a great relationship for Tom with Tom Kelly. And he was my card partner. And I, every day, he and I would play cards against Dan Gladden and Wayne Twilliger, who was our first base coach yep. at the time. Twig. And we'd get there 12, 31 o'clock, and we'd play a game called Pluck. And so he was my partner. And in between the shuffles of the cards, uh, we would sign our baseball cards and sign autographs, put them back in the envelope. And so uh, TK's Dylan. And I'm doing my fan mail, and this little kid writes me a letter, and I know I don't need to ask this question, but I do it anyway. I said, hey, Skip. That's what I still call him to this day. Tom Kelly, I call him Skip. I said, Skip. I said, he goes, what, some kid's telling you you're his favorite player? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and everybody laughs because in those letters they say, you're my favorite player, would you please, blah, blah, blah. But in this letter, the kid said, uh, Mr. Newman, uh, my mom bought tickets to the Twins game for your birthday. And so I'm saying this to Tom Kelly. I said, Skip, this kid bought tickets, you know, for my birthday, which is June 30th. It was May then. You know, it was like early May. And I said, and Tom Kelly shuffling the cards. He never looks up. He goes, you should just worry about still being here on June 30th. <laughs> So, you know, Tom Kelly could bust you and bring you down a little bit, but by the same token, I knew he had a lot of confidence in me. But, uh, yeah, so I never, I never returned to the minor leagues. The next time was, uh, was as a manager. As a matter of fact, I managed A-ball. That was my first time ever in A-ball. Oh, really? Because I started in double-A. So, um, yeah, it was different. Yes. Yeah. How, how did you end up with the Twins? I know you got traded, obviously, but... Yeah, um, I got traded. Um, like I, uh, there was a GM, general, assistant general manager, Bob Gebhardt, who was the assistant under Andy McPhail, and he was the farm director for the Montreal Expos previous, and so he was part of the group that drafted me as an expo. And okay, uh, he came over as the assistant general manager. He brought Rick Rennick, uh, who was my first manager. He was the third base coach for us in '87. And that's how Jeff Reardon got over. I came over in a trade for some guy named Mike or Mark Shade. And then Jeff Reardon came over. There was about three of us. Tom Nieto uh, came over from the Expo. So uh, that's how I got over here uh, in a minor league. Uh, well, I was a major leaguer, and I think that guy was a prospect for the, for the, for the uh, Expos or for the Twins or whatever. Uh, but I never ran across that guy again. Okay. And that was what year you were traded? Um, I was traded in 1987, you know, the good year, the start oh, of the yeah, good so years. You, oh, your first year was 87. Yeah, yeah, it came with me, yes. <laughs> you bet it did. <laughs> yes. Doggone right. What do you remember about that season? Like, I mean, you guys won 85 games and made the playoffs and eventually won the World Series, which now, I mean, if 85 wins then, making the playoffs, that's Well, well there that's were fewer lot, right? Yeah, there were fewer teams. Yeah. Wasn't uh, Detroit were, a real good team that year, too, yes, if I remember? Yes, Detroit and Toronto were very good. Uh, Baltimore was good. The Yankees weren't so good uh, back then. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they were probably the third, fourth place team. But 
What I recall is Tom Kelly, the youngest manager in the big leagues. He was 36 years old. Andy McPhail was the young genius. He was 31, 32 years old as the general manager. And so um, I get traded over, and I just remember uh, Tom Kelly says, we're going to be aggressive. Uh, we're going to run the bases better than anybody, and we're going to play better defense than anybody. He says, because defense wins championships. And so uh, his big edict was, the glove never goes on vacation. <laughs> and, and we're going to play defense and give our pitchers a fighting chance because we play in the Metrodome. So we have to catch the ball. Uh -huh. uh, you know, that was his big thing. And, and there was no, uh, you know, low cliche, no, no I in team. But uh, he always said, and I, the Gophers have stolen this line from us. Oh, the our line was everybody put your oars in the in the water. Oh yeah, yeah. And That's row, right. the, row boat. the boat, baby. And they now did, yeah. it's row the boat. You know yeah. what I mean? Ours was oars in the water and row the boat. And that was the '87 theme. Yeah, that was our mantra. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, nice. we didn't we didn't lock that up. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah patent that. Yeah. yeah. Royalties. I mean, come on. <laughs> so so coming over in '87, I'm curious. Do you recall meeting Kirby? Because I know you guys have a pretty well like publicized. You guys were good buds. Kirby Puckett, the most intimidating player that I faced in the minor leagues. Really? Uh, that's where I knew him from. When I say intimidating, you knew he came to play every single day. And the, the you know the Twins always had the old uniforms. You know, in the minor leagues, their minor leaguers got the old 1960-70 hand-me-downs uh, from the big league team. Uh, they looked hot. Um, and they were miserable. <laughs> I think they might have even been wool, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Kirby was just a good player, played hard, obviously, every day, was, was first to third, great outfielder. So I knew him from playing in the minor leagues. So getting traded over, yes, I did go buy a magazine uh, to see who was on their team uh, because the only one I had played against was Kirby Puckett in the minor leagues. Kent Herbeck and those guys were young players in the big leagues. I think Kent came up in 82, 83. Okay, you know, yeah. Laudner and those guys, were Frank Viola, they were all up in the big leagues getting their lunch, uh, <laughs> yeah. getting their education in the big leagues, but they had the <laughs> talent. But they were getting their lunch handed to them. So, uh, 87, we brand new uh, manager. A lot of fun players came in. Berenger came in. Um, myself, Reardon, Dan Gladden, uh, just a crew of uh, gamers that came to play. Speaking of Gladden, I, 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 this is a little off the cuff, but was there, I vaguely recall a story yes. be between Gladden yes. and Lombardozzi. Yes, Lombardozzi. Was that over a chick or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I, I think no, I heard, no, I, I read it, an article and it was, he came, Lombardozzi came in with a black eye and scratches on his face and Gladden had a broken finger. Yes, he broke his hand. Yes. What happened there? Uh, they just didn't like each other. Fair. Um, I mean, it was simple as that. I mean, they batted one and two in the order. Uh, they just didn't get along. I think it was upbringing. One was a silver spoon baby and one was a grunt. You take your pick of who you thought was what. <laughs> and... Uh, they just didn't get along. I, I can't explain it any other way than that. Um, it was not over a lady. Um, it had been building up all year. Uh, like I said, I don't know if Tom Kelly purposely hit Lombo behind Gladden or what, <laughs> but they were always next to each other, you know, in the batting order. 
Uh, Lombo just, I mean, Danny just didn't care for him. And finally, on a day off, Lombo thought he should walk over to Danny's house and uh, take matters into his own hands. And he probably should not have done that. <laughs> Bad decision. Yes. Danny. As Tom, Tom Kelly took a little heat on that one because he said they handle it like men. Wow. You know, it was yeah. over, you know, which they did. They never had a problem because if you watch the highlights, at the end of the 87 World Series, Danny's holding Lombo up in the air and he's waving a towel. And I, I hold that over Danny's head every time I sit. I go, what the heck, Danny? What, what's, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> you know, so yeah, I said, oh, your buddies now, right? You're holding your buddy. I'm looking at you, look at you. He can't stand that clip. <laughs> That's right out of the movie Major League, right? Yeah, Where, uh, yeah. Yeah, Dorn gets knocked out by, what's his name? Well, Rick Vaughn, win- next thing you know, they hug each other. Well, when you win a championship, man, it's all Every- about love, right? Yeah, I, everything's it, out the window. It's part of the journey. And, uh, you know, I read a good book, a good book, uh, Tony Dungy. I don't know if you've ever read, read, read any of his books. Uh, and, and in one of his books, he talks about failure and setbacks. And, you know, I, I bring that to my teams all the time because baseball is a game of setbacks and failures, depending on how you look at it. But ultimately, it's a part of your success story. Because if you don't go through that stuff, you don't know how it feels to succeed. And I think it, the mantra needs to be changed in baseball a lot with coaching is that, yes, you're going to have setback, setbacks, but don't dwell on them. Because when you have your successes, it's part of your story. And I just thought that was so fascinating. Uh, it just resonated with me when I heard that. So that's one of the things that I try to pass to players is don't be afraid of failure. It's part of your success story. Yeah. yeah you that's can't great live, advice. You can't live in the past, that's for sure. Um, what uh, What do you remember? Like, I just remember hearing, you know, I was, what, six at the time, but um, when you guys won, was it the seventh game against Detroit? Fifth. Oh, it was only the fifth. You guys beat them in five in Detroit, yeah. right? And then sure. you guys came back to what was it—a sold-out Metrodome, a yeah, packed Metrodome. 50. Well, there was there was really no um, there was no game. There was no game. Um, Fifty-five thousand fans were at the right. Metrodome. Yeah, to come celebrate. Right. Yes. We didn't have a game. We just showed up at the at the dome. There's fifty five thousand screaming fans. That puts it. Wow. That lifts the, that lifts the hairs on my neck. Just right. just thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, we came in and it just. I think that obviously catapulted us. We hadn't won anything. We were just going to the World Series. So uh, the dome was definitely an advantage for us, uh, and it paid off for us tremendously. I mean, we only won our games at home. We lost on the road. Um, it was amazing because all year long we were terrible on the road, but the home was our, the dome was our place. Yeah, yeah. So heading into the '87 series, what do you remember about that? I remember I was scared to death. <laughs> I yeah. mean, let's keep let's keep honest. Uh, right. Yeah. No. You know, um, even though I wasn't an everyday player, I was still nervous. Uh, more so because I knew if I got in the game, all I could do was really screw it up if I didn't do my job. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was just a fun experience, something that you had dreamt about. Uh, you, you, you know, you want to share, you bring all your family in, a lot of company at the house, everybody's excited, but you're the only one not getting any sleep. Yeah. Um, so what, what we got? We got two wins at home, 
three losses on the road and two more back at home. Never doubted it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never doubted it because when we went to St. Louis and um, we lost the three games there, we got on the got on the bus in the locker room, I should say, and Tom Kelly says, hey, boys, don't fret. He says, I want us to drink like we drink and, and uh, do what we <laughs> normally do, play our cards, because we're going back to the Metrodome. Uh-huh. And that was about as much of a speech as he had to give because we knew we were good there, and we got her done. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so 87, you win it. 88, you guys had a good year, too, but you guys didn't make it. We didn't make it. Oakland won 100 games. Yeah, you guys won, what, like 91? I think, I think we won 91, 92 games, and Oakland had 100 and something. We weren't even close. <laughs> we weren't even close. I think they, they might have won the division by 12 games. Wow. Uh, not sure. But, you know, then, you know, the Twins, they, they always bring players. You know, and, and I, I've, I've got to go here pretty soon, but I, I wanted to talk about the 91 series a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys don't mind. And, no, and, please. The Twins are always reloading, and, and throughout their system, you know, while we were playing, uh, as I mentioned earlier, even when we finished uh, in last place in 1990 after having uh, two pretty good seasons after winning in 87, 90, we just, we didn't win. We were below 500, but yet we were bringing up young players like Scott Erickson, Mark Guthrie, um, uh, David West. Uh, they were coming up and getting their innings in. So uh, we weren't terrible, but we just didn't have, you know, that three-man out-of-the-rotation type where we could say we could put two good series together. Uh, but in 91, when those guys came to the big leagues, Erickson, Tappany, West, Guthrie, uh, that four, and then with Chuck Knobloch, who came up in 91, mm -hmm. uh, who pretty much, even though he came, I didn't play as much second, but I still got in, I believe, over 100 games. Uh, you know, it's amazing how Tom Kelly always got me in uh, when there was a crucial part of the game or in, in a big series. I seem to always be in there, so I, I appreciate that. But What helps when there's not a position you can't play. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> and, and again, he trusted my glove. You know, if he puts you in third, all you can do is hurt the team. Defensively, you never want to hurt your team. Offensively, if you don't play every day, you're not expected to be a 300 hitter. You're supposed to be a contact hitter that can put the ball in play, you know, bunt, hit and run, uh, run the base as well. You have other things that you can add to the club if you're not an everyday player. And in the big leagues, you're going to have five or six guys that are in the lineup every day. And then there's a platoon system, so you have to wait your chances. But yet, that's why practicing is so important for young players. Um, hitting off that tee, soft toss, Staying in control of your swing, uh, because if you're not an everyday player, you got to have a contact-oriented swing if you're going to have success at the higher level. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, what do you remember about Game Seven and '91? Um, just with the the performance with Jack Morris, and do you remember the conversation like TK almost pulling him? Was he pretty close? Well, I, I recall when he walked out there to the mound, Jack asked him what he wanted. Uh huh. Um, you know, he asked him, what do you want? Because I know I'm in trouble. You know, <laughs> the coach doesn't come out. The managers don't come out unless there's a situation going on. So, um, TK, after Jack said that, <coughs> excuse me, 
to TK cause KT to say, well, it's just the game. It's just the game. And he walked away. <laughs> but it was well, the seventh game of the World Series. Right. And, and, yeah, it is just a game. That's how TK kept it. Yeah. If, if this guy believed that he could get it done, Tom Kelly trusted us to get it done. Although he still had to make his managerial moves, um, he allowed us an opportunity uh, to, to be productive and to maintain confidence in our playing ability. Yeah. Hey, last one. How would you guys celebrate? How much fun did you guys have that night? What do you remember? Well, put it this way. <laughs> um, my parents flew out the next morning. Um, obviously, my wife at the time, she drove them to the airport because I was still at the locker room with the fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a it was a good time. Um, I remember we went to a couple places in downtown Minneapolis, which was not as big as it is now. So, you know, we went to Prince's place. Uh, they had a little private session for us, First cool. Avenue. Wow. Uh, we did a few things that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there is some memory lapse. So if I pause, that means I don't <laughs> remember. <laughs> I bet as Gladden would say, you had a couple of beverages of your yes. choice. Yes, adult you? beverages. Yes, yeah, adult yes. beverages. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, guys, I, I tell you what, I, I appreciate you taking me down memory lane. Uh, it's always good. Um, you know, I still have uh, nightmares, uh, bad dreams about the '91 series because that '91 series, a lot of people don't recall, but there were five one-run games. Yes. Yeah. There were three extra inning games. Just unbelievable right? stress. I mean, right? it, it was crazy. It was just so stressful. And then you go down there to Atlanta and you hear that. Ch and you hear that chant is what Numi was trying to say. We had some technical difficulties there at the end. The oh. And I wanted to keep that in. Um, I wish he would have been able to expand and, and you guys listen, but. What he was talking about was it was just a really stressful time, obviously, with all those close ball games. And I wanted to leave that in because as fans, you know, we're sitting on the edge of our seat. Like, I remember being a 10-year-old kid, like, kind of freaking out, like, what's going to happen? Are we going to win? What's going on? You know, but it just gives you – I want to leave that there for perspective of what it was like being a player. Like, he still got nightmares to this day just because of, like, how tense it was and – I mean, being a part of that, it's a pretty historic deal and just how close it was. And thought I'd leave that in there for you guys. But, hey, there it was. Knew me. Appreciate it once again, man. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned some things because that guy is somebody that you absolutely, for sure, can learn some things from right there. So thanks, guys, for listening. And until next time, learn, try, know, and achieve. Huh, babe.